It's the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I am honored to be joined by Vincent Hayward Sr. Good morning, Vincent. Good morning. It's a pleasure for you to have me. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited for our conversation. Let me tell our guests just a little bit about you. Your name is Vincent Hayward, and you're a certified master life coach who specializes in happiness coaching, goal success coaching, life purpose coaching, and confidence building coaching for graduating teens, young adults, and millennials, and maintains a practice in Houston, Texas. Vincent serves as a private practitioner working with a broad spectrum of clients. In addition to being a certified master life coach. He's also a licensed minister who has experienced ups and downs in lives that he believes will help help teens, young adults, millennials, adolescents, and their parents achieve their goals by tapping into their full potential. Vincent deems himself as a collaborative solution-focused life coach and through a holistic approach uh, provides support and practical feedback to help clients effectively address life's personal challenges. He integrates coaching techniques and helpful assignments to offer a highly personalized program tailored to you. With compassion and understanding, he's committed to helping every client build on their strengths and attain the personal growth that they are looking for. So that is that is quite a bio, but a lot of coaching in there. I like it. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I love coaching. Um, it's, it's my heart and soul, as well as ministering. And I, what I attempt to do is combine the two uh, based upon the, comf- the comfortable level of the uh, uh, client or potential client. What's your favorite thing about coaching? Uh, just the achievements, uh, reaching, uh, uh, reaching someone or a group of people that that um, reaching their goals, uh, accomplishing their goals, uh, and just seeing that they have uh, reached that level of accountability uh, that they came into the office about, just wanting to be held accountable. And and I played my part, and they played their part, and and success was achieved. That's awesome. How did you decide to focus on millennials and young adults and graduates? Well, well, because I recognize that at the age of 17, so many of our young adults, uh, regardless of race, creed, color, nationality, uh, begin to make critical decisions in their life, uh, life-altering decisions in their life. And sometimes those decisions can be bad decisions uh, at 17 years old and 18 and 19 as well, and, and so on. Uh, so after um, 17 years of freedom, uh, I actually uh, had a stint in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And on that 17th year, I decided to uh, uh, collaborate uh, that age and that 17 years of freedom with uh, Vincent 17 and Beyond Life Coaching. 
I like it. That's great. Well, let's go. Uh, let's go back a ways and um, sure. talk about talk about your childhood a little bit. You sure. told me that you grew up in the Fifth Ward. Is that in Houston? Yes, ma'am. Uh, Fifth Ward is a very recognized area in the city of Houston. Uh, we have a, we actually have I think five wards: first ward, second ward, third ward, fourth ward, and fifth ward. Something similar to uh, what you would find in New Orleans. Uh, however, fifth ward uh, grew uh, has a reputation of being a an area or region in the city of Houston where it is very difficult to uh, uh, grow up. Um, as a young boy or as a young man in a productive society, it mm-hmm. it has this stigma that if you come up from Fifth Ward, then you are uh, are you categorized in an area where you're not going to be successful in life. However, we have had uh, very successful people to come out of the the uh, the area of Fifth Ward, and it took a reputation of the bloody nickel because so much crime and violence was associated with that particular area in Houston. Okay, so uh, you talk about talk about violence. Is there like gang violence? Is it is it drug driven? Oh, yeah. What is the what is the impetus for that? Oh yes, um, during the years of. I would say from 1980 to 1990, it was uh, very well known for uh, uh, crack cocaine and and, and many uh, men and women as well becoming uh, financially financially stable through the use of crack cocaine. But of course, lives were were altered uh, due to it. Um, so when, when you look at it from that perspective, uh, uh, a great deal of violence was it would take place because we also the uh, the uh, Houston Police Department came up with a sting group called the uh, City Under Siege back in the 1980s and the 1990s, where uh, they would try to uh, uh, lower the crime rate uh, by uh, eliminating as much crime as possible in in that particular area. And so, and so, were they just um, targeting targeting people who were dealing, targeting gangs? What were they doing? It's most. It was mostly people that were dealing. Uh, if you were, uh, most most of the time, if you were dealing, you were, could you could possibly be also associated with a gang. Now, now as far as Crips and Bloods and and uh all these other groups that are out that were out there during that particular time crips and bloods were not very popular in the city of houston uh but uh as far as uh selling dope and crack cocaine that was very very popular uh during that time so the city on the seas group was basically uh created for that particular reason not so much as the gang related activity okay okay well, let's um, switch topics real quick. Um, I'm mm-hmm. just curious. You're a minister now. What was the faith conversation in your house growing up? Were you grow- were you raised in a house of faith or? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, my mother uh, was a was a very devout Christian uh, and believer in uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ under the under the under the Baptist teachings. Uh, I recall as a as a little boy growing up in Fifth Ward, where we would our church was actually uh, in an area called Cashmere Gardens, uh, maybe about ten miles from uh, 
from Fifth Ward, and which also where my grandmother, my mother's mother, lived as well. But she would take her six kids, uh, uh, me included, and five girls, and me being the only boy, in, in a yellow cab, and we would take that cab over to my grandmother's house, spend time with my grandmother, and from there we would walk to the church, which was Morningstar Baptist Church. And I still remember this as a little boy because that is greatly embedded in my in my heart because I I think that was the the nucleus that we started my life and belief in God, you know. Um, but things changed over a course of years, but that's where my fate was uh beginning to, uh, that's where my beginning faith uh, uh, relationship happened uh, because my mother made sure that all of her children went to church on Sunday morning. Well, God bless mamas that uh, make that a priority, huh? Yes, yes, yes. So you served in the Army for a while? Yes, I did. Uh, After uh, graduating from Cashmere Senior High, uh, which is also in the Cashmere Garden area. And there's a story behind that. Quickly, my mother, uh, we grew up in Fifth Ward, but the uh, the uh, high school that was in Fifth Ward was Wheatley High School, and my mother didn't like that high school because it was uh, uh, in an area of Fifth Ward where crime was very high, uh, violence was very high, and she felt like all of her children needed to graduate from Cashmere Senior High, and she successfully achieved that. Every one of our, her children graduated went first of all went to dogan elementary went to fleming uh, middle school and we all went to cashman senior high and all six of us graduated from that so that was something i i know yeah. was a was a flower in my mother's uh, heart um after after my senior high school um, after my senior year at cashmere I, I decided that i wanted to um get out of fifth ward uh, and and my uh, route was to go to the military. I knew I would, not only would I get away from Fifth Ward, I would get away from the state of Texas and the city of Houston and everything that's involved <laughs> with it. So, yeah. at, so, so at 18 years old, I enlisted into the military, and uh, from there, I spent uh, three and a half years in, uh, in in the military. What was your job in the military? My MOS was the 76 Yankee, which was a supply specialist. Uh, uh, crafted that trade uh, while while in there, and uh, and I'm still a veteran as of today. And where did you where did you mostly serve at? What location? Well, uh, my basic yeah uh, we when you enter into the military I, that was active army. My basic was uh, basic training was in uh, South Carolina, Fort Jackson, South Carolina. My AIT, which is Advanced Individual Training, was also in. Uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and from from Fort Jackson, South Carolina, my first assignment was in Wild Flicking, Germany. I think it may have been maybe 20, <laughs> 30, 20 or 30 uh, miles or maybe more from Franklin, Germany. And I, I tell you, I had the worst experience when I got off the bus with that duffel bag on my on my back. I immediately stepped on some ice with uh, the, the the sidewalks in Germany seems to always slant, either going down or going up. And so I caught one going down and caught some ice and slipped and landed right on that duffel bag on my back. Uh, thank God it wasn't a duffel bag on my back. I may have injured myself. 
Welcome, welcome <laughs> to Germany. <laughs> if it wasn't for that duffel bag, I think I may have injured myself. But uh, that was my first experience I, I, in, in Wild Flick in Germany. And and from there, uh, I I believe that's where my, my life uh, took a turn completely different than where I was going in life. I mean, that, that was it there. Why, how did it take a turn there? Well, I was, before I, before I enlisted into the military, I was a, what I would call a model child. I, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. Uh, hell, if, I, if, I, if memory serves me correctly, I, I think I, I think I was still a virgin, may have, may have been. Uh, anyway, when I got to, um, to Germany, I started uh, getting involved with the wrong crowds. I uh, found myself drinking for the first time, uh, drinking uh, beer. Beer, as you know, is very popular in uh, Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, I never will forget the day I came into the barracks after going out with a friend of mine, and a true friend, a friend of mine, went into the barracks and, and found myself in a restroom having dry heaves. Uh, I never knew what dry heaves were until someone explained it to me. It's like you you're trying to regurgitate something, but it won't come out, and, right. and that was uh, yes. Yeah, so that was an experience um, where I, I also ended up smoking hash as well. So um, in Germany, uh, I got involved with the wrong crowds, and before you know it, I I was receiving a a honorable a general discharge on a on a honorable conditions for a pattern of misconduct. Okay. Yes, and, that, that's why. And by pattern of misconduct, you mean it's just like a series of events that they. Yes. Yes. I, I, I ended up getting a DWI, I believe a DUI, uh, having bar, having fights and all types of things and, and getting, uh, getting arrested by the military police and, all these things, and remember, this is when I was 18, 19 years old. Uh, so that's where so many things started to change in my life. Yeah. So you kind of began, or not kind of, you began to spiral down in your 20s um, yes. and and get into some trouble. What was that all about? Um, well, I believe that after, after getting out of the military, my... Uh, I, I just wanted to really have things uh, expediently, quickly, and fast. And uh, believe it or not, I uh, I actually started working as a manager uh, uh, at McDonald's because uh, I was already familiar with McDonald's uh, because it was the first job I had as a as a teenager before I graduated, and the. Uh, the supervision was pretty comfortable with me. So I immediately became a manager of two stores uh, at McDonald's. Um, so after a period of time, uh, that money was not sufficient for me. It wasn't coming fast enough. So I, I ended up robbing, uh, deciding to rob things, uh, uh, particularly banks. <laughs> Thanks. So, uh, yes, a friend of mine, me and a friend of mine that I, I met through McDonald's uh, decided to go on a screen of just robbing banks. So 
uh, never thought this would happen in that direction, but it's just a testimony that I can share because uh, God takes us down routes that we never know what, why he's taking us down these particular routes. Ahead. Right. Were you, were you successful in robbing banks for a while or did it end rather quickly? Uh, I would say it, it, I was successful uh, until, uh, <laughs> until jealousy from, from friends of mine began to uh, take, take root in the neighborhood. And uh, I found myself uh, being apprehended in my mother's home uh, because uh, another so-called friend of mine uh, uh, decided to inform the police uh, of my whereabouts because I was being looked for at that time. Mm. So you ended up going to prison. What was your sentence? Uh, four counts of aggravated robbery. Aggravated robbery is, is just the difference between uh, committing a robbery with a weapon and without a weapon. I, I had a weapon when I was uh, committing these these uh, robberies. And Didn't so hurt how anyone, long? Didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least not physically. <laughs> yeah. How long was your sentence? Uh, I had a 20-year sentence, uh, uh, four counts of aggravated robbery, uh, five years for each uh for each robbery and uh, ended up doing uh, 11 years uh, behind that in, in Texas Department of Criminal Justice and ended up doing nine years on parole when I got out in uh, 2002. So I'm curious, tell me about that moment when you're sentenced and you know that your freedom is being taken away. What is that emotion at that point? Were you angry? Were you scared? Were you I upset. What is that emotion like? Well, um, you have to reach a point where you have to grow to accept it. Uh, when when you first incarcerated, you go to the Harris County uh, Jail first before uh, being transferred uh, or transported to uh, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And during that period, you're 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 constantly thinking. Uh, when are you going to go to TDC? Once you realize, or uh, once you come to the reality that you are going to TDC, because sometimes when you get in Harris County, you don't really know if you're going to TDC until uh, they have notified you that you will. And I actually didn't go directly to TDC. I went to a detention center in Laredo, Texas. So uh, I guess this was a transitional period. Uh, uh, during during that particular time, but as far as emotions, it it at the very beginning stages, uh, I was able to keep my emotions in check because, for the simple fact, I I didn't want to uh, be known as a softy. But uh, and, and growing up in Fifth Ward, there's a reputation in prison that you are hard, and, and, and if you grew up in that area, you you are hard. So. Mm. I, I didn't want that was the emotion that I had to deal with mostly not being identified as a softy. Uh, so so uh, I didn't have that problem. So so that once I got to uh, Laredo Detention Center, uh, my life with Christ began to elevate and begin to get involved. That's where Christianity, I decided that. Uh, okay, I need to get involved with something and stay attached to something. And that's where uh, God found me. I didn't find God, but God found me again. 
Cool. Now you spent a little bit of time as a practicing Muslim. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. After, Tell me about that. Yes. After after uh, the Laredo Detention Center, um, we left Laredo Detention Center, we being every uh, offender that was there because a riot took out, a riot broke out at Laredo Detention Center where I was holding uh, Bible study. I was actually ordained as a as a minister uh, pastor there by an outside uh, pastor that came in. And we were holding services inside and outside of the detention center. And some of the uh, members of the um, of the ministry there decided to fraternize and fornicate with some of the women that were there in the in the area and a riot broke out and and these uh, men were injured quite a bit uh, i think one of their lives were taken and all of this took place while having bible study in one of the barracks and as the riot broke out i i asked the, the guys that were at the table to uh, just bow your heads and we're going to pray uh, for God's protection. And when the dust had settled and smoke had cleared, uh, uh, most of us were protected there. Those that the Hispanic uh, people recognized as those who were faking the religion, uh, they didn't fare too well uh, at the table. But uh, anyway, long story short, after leave, after that, we were all transpo- transported to TDC. And when I got to TDC, I started practicing Islam, uh, studying Islam based upon uh, learning, wanting to learn more about myself as a black man. Uh, studied uh, the Nation of Islam and uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Minister Farrakhan, of course, Malcolm X, and all of these had influences on my life to embrace Islam at that time. How did... Um you reconcile your understanding of Christianity with Islam? Like, did you find threads of commonality through there or were they just radically different for you? Did you have to set Christianity aside in order to accept Islam? What did you, how did you process all that? That's a good question. Uh, Actually, uh, I saw some similarities with Christianity and Islam. Uh, because I was a studier of the Quran. And, and, and when I started studying the Quran, I noticed that uh, the prophet Abraham, which was Ibrahim in, uh, in Quranic Arabic, uh, the prophet Moses, which was Musa in uh, Quranic Arabic, and, and even uh, Jesus was recognized as a prophet, but he wasn't recognized as the only begotten son. But he was mentioned more often in the Quran than uh, the prophet Muhammad. So I started doing what you would call comparative religion. And and when noticing and finding that uh, so much of the biblical characters was in the Quran, I decided that, well, uh, maybe I could practice Islam and also be a uh, uh, a man of God, so to speak. Uh, so that is what made a very big uh, influence upon me uh, beginning to study and practice Islam more because of my knowledge of 
the Bible, which collaborated with the Quran. So before you, and before you know it, I was uh, teaching uh, Islamic uh, uh, Quranic Arabic and uh, and becoming so fluently in reading the Quran. And and before you know it, I was an email over the Islamic community at Ramsey one and Ramsey two. Hmm. Did you um, do you uh, feel like you regret that time um, leading or do you feel like that was a beneficial season for you? Uh, great question. Again, uh, I honestly don't regret anything that. And the reason why I uh, emphatically answer that in that fashion is because uh, I firmly believe that everything happens according to the will of God. And so, and being a firm uh, believer in God, and, and now I can actually see uh, my steps being ordained and predestined by God. So, so the direction and the steps that I've taken in my life was only to create a testimony, which I have today. So, mm -hmm. so when it comes down to any regrets, no. Uh, however, I do realize the impact that I've had on lives uh, because of my selfishness uh, before getting into prison, because I recognize that selfishness. I, I can't recognize the things that I recognize if it wasn't for the uh, the gifting of what I would call the Holy Spirit in me, giving me the ability to uh, recognize these things and give God glory for it. Well, it sounds like um, every space that you're in, your leadership gift rises, um, helps to rise you to the to the surface, doesn't it? Yes, yes, ma'am. I agree 100 percent. You know, uh, life has uh, taken some turns for me, you know, uh, uh, just to conclude on that issue with Islam. When I got out of prison, I was still practicing Muslim. I, uh, I brought that to my mother's home. I continue to uh, perform five prayers a day. Uh, I believe that Islamic uh, teachings were that uh, marriage was one third of the religion. So that was instilled in my head at the moment while I was practicing Islam in TDC. So I knew I had to get married uh, to complete one third of the religion. So it wasn't um, no longer than four months I married. And uh, in 2000 and 11 I, I lost my 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 wife on christmas day uh christmas mm. morning i woke up to find her hair buried in the pillow next to me with my two-year-old daughter uh right next to me so uh, these are just these testimonies in the direction that he has taken wow. me and uh from that uh god spoke to me and i believe he spoke to me from the very beginning because i made a promise to god if i may say uh, while i was in prison that we, if he would when he releases me out of prison, I would give you 10 years of, uh, of dedication to the religion of Islam. It was at 10 and a half years uh, of practicing Islam with my wife when Christmas morning, 2011, she died. And she was, mm. she was, she was there. And, and that was a, that was a, a nail in the coffin. I guess that would be right for me to, let Islam go. So yeah. I began, I had my wife with a Christian burial uh, in the uh, memorial, the Veterans Memorial uh, Center uh, here in Houston. And and from that point on, I've been living a life of a uh, of Christian. 
What happened with your wife? How did she die? Uh, she, uh, it was a medical illness. She suffered from epileptic seizures. Uh, she was a type one diabetic. Uh, it wasn't unusual for her to, uh, have seizures and bite her tongue. And, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that was something that I had grew accustomed to being prepared for her. Uh, whenever I noticed, I was able to notify, uh, uh, recognize that she was about to go into a seizure, I would immediately grab a mouthpiece and put it in her mouth before she actually had the seizure. But that particular morning, I, uh, for some reason, I wasn't able to feel her uh, uh, doing that. So, uh, so yeah, I did. I'm so sorry. uh, That's really rough. So back up a minute for me and um, tell me what was, what was prison like? Well, uh, (laughs) you know, to this very day, uh, I, I honestly believe and I honestly teach as well that if it wasn't for prison, I wouldn't be the man I am today. I learned more how to be a man in prison than I ever learned uh, in in society. Uh, it's just the place where I believe God sent me to really understand the difference between being a male, being a boy, and being a man. And I, when I exited TDC, I was actually a man, not only in body, but in spirit and in mind. Uh, a complete man. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to uh, return back to the person that I uh, that got me in there. But while there, uh, I engrossed myself in education. I I, I completed a four year uh, college uh, term at Alvin Community College to get my associate degree in liberal arts. My my mind was so engrossed engrossed into educating myself. So it wasn't unusual to to find Vincent in his cell during rec period. It wasn't unusual to find Vincent uh, on the rec yard running and walking the rec yard. So I, 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 well, I won't say isolated, but I separated myself from the riffraff that was in TDC to the point where I was able to recognize that God had his hand on me to the point where I've never got into a physical, physical confrontation or altercation in TDC. What would you articulate as the differences between a boy and a man? Good question. I knew it was coming up. (laughs) Um, Well, at first of all, as a male, we very well know you, you identify yourself as a male based upon the biological orders. Uh, organs that are given to you. Uh, that's what distinguishes a male from a female as well. So, but as a boy, uh, what you do, you end up uh, trying to, you're trying to maneuver from being a male and not allowing your physical attributes to to uh, dictate your decisions. But as a boy, it, you, it's difficult to do that. So, so you find yourself making decisions based upon your physical attributes, your attributes, and not your mental and spiritual attributes. So, the Word of God said, "When I was a child, I thought as a child, I act as a child, I behaved as a child. But when I became a man, I put away all childish things." So, in order to put those things away, 
you have to first of all identify yourself because it said when I became a man, I put away all childish things. So I identified those childish things or those boyish things and I put them away. I put them away to the best of my ability. So now you have me operating in the in the body, in the physical, in the spiritual of a man. Mm. So you decided. If that makes so sense, if that makes sense. To you. <laughs> okay. So you decided to become a life coach, and specifically for adolescents and young adults. Um, how did your transition from being in more traditional ministry to life coach happen? Uh, because I I believe it's a calling. I believe it's a calling where when you go through some things like I have gone through, it creates experiences. It creates experiences. I, I always identify myself as someone as a life coach, what an average life coach has never been. So if I'm able to speak with a group of teenagers that are about to graduate from high school, there are some things that I can bring to the table that the average life coach won't be able to do. So, so uh, I looked at that age bracket where these decisions, especially, especially in the African American community, uh, so many uh, young uh, uh, African American males and females want to get out on their own. Uh, if it's not college, they want to get in their own place. They want to have their own. They want to do all these things, and and I've learned that just that won't is not a need. You want to do those things, but it or won't is not a need. Do you need to do these things? And, and unfortunately, sometimes it's the parents that's pushing them to do those things because yes. uh, they they have given them eighteen years of their life. Uh, so so uh, it's time for you to get out there and experience things on your own. It's just like an eagle pushing this eaglet out of out of out of the nest from a high mountain to get out there and fly. You're gonna learn how to fly. And uh, I I wanted to be that person to to help them uh, uh, learn how to fly uh, by providing things for them, uh, especially uh, uh, providing my, my life story uh, through uh, testimony over titles from prison to promise. So tell me about, tell me about the book a little bit. Uh, it's called testimonies over titles from prison to promise. Um, when did you write it? I actually wrote it during the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> I actually wrote it during, I finished it during the pandemic. I started actually in 2018, uh, writing there when I was working in the crane and rigging industry, I was able to have a lot of free time on my hand with operating cranes and rigging. Uh, I would take my uh, laptop with me and back of the truck. And when they have two or three hours downtime, I would be writing. And of course, when I got home, I would do some writing. And before you know it, the, uh, the, the book was complete uh, by uh, by 2019 and published in, uh, in 2020, February of 2020. Uh, it's a mini autobiography of my life stories, uh, how I got through on them and, and, and some, some teachings on how you can get through get through these things as well. Uh, I believe that experience is the best teacher. And uh, and those and those experiences uh, I believe would deserve to be put on paper so that they so that it can help someone else. Yeah, you know, the um, the process of writing, I'm a writer myself and also a minister. And I went through this series mm -hmm. of emotions where I felt like when I was no longer a minister, I felt like I wasn't 
fulfilling a calling. And, you know, I just had somebody tell me one day, they said, Jill, your words reach way more people than your congregation. It goes way further than you could ever imagine. You're actually speaking to more people now than you were before. And I just hadn't made that switch in my brain. So your ability Mm -hmm. to write this story and to allow it to spread just multiplies your message tenfold, right? Yes, ma'am. It sure, it sure does. You, you sound like you, you're me on the other end of that microphone, uh, uh, because uh, I echo those same sentiments. You know, uh, when you're able to uh, consciously uh, sit back and what, what, what made, what made writing so? I've always loved writing. I've always loved writing. Uh, that's why my associate degree is in liberal arts because I love I loved writing and I loved reading, uh, and so that served as a nucleus uh, impetus to to push me to write even further. But one thing that I uh, I learned to do as a writer is uh, write things down as I go because thoughts are constantly generated into your mind. Uh, it's like I would walk with a pad and pad and pencil in my pocket all the time. And when a thought came, oh, yeah, it could because you'll get that brain freeze or you'll, or you'll get that stop uh, <laughs> writing, writing stop. And, you'll, and, and before you know it, if you're still thinking about that book, you remember where you stop and you'll say, oh, man, that's why I need to begin over again right there, right there. So those thoughts come to mind. And, and like I said, before you know it, I was complete with the book. Well, I'm old enough that if a thought comes into my mind, I better write it down right away because it's going to (laughs) disappear. Yes, 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 it does. And it happens with dreams as well like that. You know, Mm -hmm. you can you can dream something and when you wake up, it's it's kind of hard to put it all back together because it was a dream. Um, So uh, but visions and dreams, they're they're different Uh, visions. You can actually be standing in a in a a parking lot or a. a train station and have a vision just like that. And, and there you are, you know, but dreams are usually taking place in, in your sleep. So, yeah. So, yeah. Well, you, you probably can't see it, but behind me on my desk, there's a clothesline where I hang, where I hang things that I need to remember about my writing. <laughs> that's the way I, <laughs> that's the way I keep track. <laughs> But that's so, good. It works for you. It works for you. That's that's what's important. If that works for you, then yep, you absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So, where can people get a hold of your book? Of course, the first place that you can get it is at uh, on my website, uh, seventeen and beyond lc dot com uh, forward slash book. Uh, you can find it there. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook uh, under my name, Vincent Haywood. Uh, I have a 17 and beyond life coaching page on Facebook where the book is uh, noticeable on there. And of course, it's on Amazon and ebook as well. You can you can search testimony over titles and it should come up or you can search, search my name, Vincent Haywood Sr. And it'll come up on Amazon as well. Uh, Great. I will that. I will put that in the show notes so people can get a hold of it. And it's on my list to read, too. And I'm looking forward to it. So I have one last question for you before we end. Um, if you could condense it down, what is the one thing that you most want people to know about your journey? Condense it down in one. Uh, 
the one thing that I want people to mostly know about my journey is that it was ordained by God. Mm. It was ordained by God. And you won't really see that until God manifests it before your very eyes. You have to be in a certain place to be able to see it. Um, it was ordained by God. I don't regret any of the steps uh, or the route that was taken for me to get where I am because I believe that it was ordained by God. Mm. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for your time, Vincent. It's been it's been a joy and a pleasure to talk to you. I'm looking forward to reading the book, and I wish you every good blessing in your work and in your life. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me. You made this very comfortable for me. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, JillReilly.Author, and on Twitter, JillReillyAuthor. Email Jill at JillReilly.org.